Hi, my name's Matt, and I'm a technoholic. Seriously, I'm a technoholic. Anybody else in here? I'm self-admitted. I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I struggle with this. This message and this series that we're going to embark on today is for me. You guys just get to overhear it. Let me just tell you a little bit about my normal morning routine. What wakes me up? My phone. My alarm on my phone. It wakes me up. And then I pick it up. And I do my Bible reading on an app, right? And then I have another app that gives me my prayer requests and things to pray for. And then I have another app for scripture memory. Those are all good things, right? So I'm doing all that stuff. That's great. But all with my phone before I check my email and look at social media and the news, right? And then I put in my AirPods and I listen to a podcast while I'm getting ready. And this is all before breakfast, right? Anybody else in here use their phone that much? You know what I'm talking about? I'm a technoholic. And this phone has just done some incredible things for my life. I feel like I'm way more productive. There's some amazing things I do. I I use Evernote because I always have ideas and thoughts, and I put them in Evernote, and I can save them and search them whenever so I can write messages like these. I have over a 1,000 books that I can read on on a couple different apps. I have a Bible software that I can look at the Hebrew and the Greek of the passages so I can prepare a message for you guys. I can even FaceTime with our missionaries overseas. That's incredible stuff that my phone enables me to do, right? You guys have this incredible, super powerful technology in our pockets. It's powerful. And yet, there's also some downsides with it, aren't there? We know it. We're living through it. We live in an age where we've never been more connected, yet we've never felt more alone. Seriously, we are so connected. I want to share with you some statistics and some studies that I've looked at in preparation for this series. That as of today... Of the almost 8 billion people in our world that live, we have 4.7 billion people that have their own cell phone. 4.7. 4.4 billion are on the internet. 3.2 billion of those are on social media. Isn't that credible how many billions of people that you can connect with right now? In the U.S., there are more phones than there are people. Worldwide, more people have access to a cell phone than have access to a toilet to the tune of 1.5 billion people. 91% of U.S. citizens have a mobile device within their reach 24-7. I think that number's a little low. 400 hours of video are uploaded to YouTube every single minute. Millions of Tinder swipes are happening every day. If you don't know what that is, that's good. Billions of Facebook likes are happening every day. There are more articles, blogs, tumblers, posts than ever before being published every single day. 85%, and again, I think this is low, 85% of young adults have a smartphone. So access to all those things on the internet. And 46%, get this, 46% of those young adults say they couldn't live life without it. This is incredible because just over a decade ago, none of us even had smartphones. Now we can't live without them. It's staggering. We use the phone on average for five hours a day over 85 different times, averaging most about 30 seconds each. The average teenager, get this, sends over 3,000 texts a day. Isn't that insane? It's 4,000 for girls. You know, a few years ago, we, we used to say that we were connected by the six degrees of separation. 
But that's not true anymore. Facebook has done a study and they say that actually we're only three and a half connections away from everyone the world over. Three and a half. We have never been more connected in our world. It's incredible. Yet at the same time, we've never felt more alone. In 1960, 7% of adults lived on their own. Today, over one-third of U.S. adults live on their own. That's a huge change. Years ago, there was a survey done. If you could call someone in the middle of the night if you had an emergency, how many people could you call that would be there for you? It used to be, on average, people would say five. Do you know how many they say today? Zero. Over 200,000 elderly adults have not had a conversation with a friend or a relative in over a month. But it's not just the elderly. Millennials self-report, 22% of millennials, which I'm a millennial, say they have no friends. In fact, in all the age groups, it is those 16 to 24 that report being the loneliest And this has actual health consequences. Did you know that? Our loneliness? Our loneliness lowers our immune system, so we're more likely to get sick, even if it's common cold or something worse. We're more likely, if you're lonely, to suffer from depression, sex addiction, chronic diseases, strokes, and other mental health issues. It is likened by some healthcare professionals to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's the equivalent of being lonely. That's why in the UK that loneliness has been declared the public health challenge of our time. In the U.S. too, one out of two, half of Americans report that they are lonely. Half of us. According to the um, recent surveys, we're in trouble, right? And I think it's even more so here in Denver, right? Because a lot of us moved here to Denver for a job or for school or for the mountains or for one guy I talked with a few weeks ago, for the weed. Whatever brings you here, we're away from our friends and our family and we come here to Denver and we're lonely. Denver right now, according to the U.S. News and World Report, is ranked as the second best place to live in the country. Awesome, right? But it's also the third loneliest place in the country. This is the city, the world we live in today. We've never been more connected, yet we've never felt more alone. And and have you noticed that these things go hand in hand? You know, people debate about that. Well, what what is it? Is it technology or the loneliness? Which one is driving it? I don't know, chicken and the egg. But they're connected, right? I think they're exactly tied together, and studies are, are showing that now more than ever before. There was a big, large study done by Signal, Cigna, the healthcare provider, because they want you guys to be healthier, us to be healthier, so they don't have to pay as much money. And they found that this loneliness we're all experiencing is directly tied to our use of social media. The more social media, the lonelier we are. Here's another interesting little tidbit. Okay, there's the different generations. You know, there's the breakdown. People do it a little differently. There's Gen Z, which are the youngest, our teenagers, starting to get become adults right now. Then there's millennials, me. Then there's our... Gen Xers, and then boomers all the way up to the silent generation. You guys know that breakdown of generations? Which of those generations do you think is the most digitally connected? Anybody? Any guesses? Gen Z, that's right. Gen Z, they're on Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever that is. All those things. They're the most connected generation. Okay, now of all those generations, which one do you think is the loneliest? Gen Z. 
Gen Z. Social media is being shown now that it lowers your self-esteem. And the more you use it and the more social media platforms you use, you have higher anxiety and higher depression and therefore higher levels of suicide. And we know this because we get on social media, we see everybody else's vacation pictures and their beautiful homes and weddings and all that good stuff that they have, and we get jealous and therefore we get depressed. We compare ourselves directly with other people. And it keeps us from connecting with other people. Here's an interesting study. They found that the people who post the most photos have the least connections. They may even be tied together because people are afraid to go with that person who has such a great, beautiful life. Technology has actually enabled us to avoid social interaction and relationships. Uh, I noticed this the other day because I was sitting on my front porch and some of our neighbors, two girls, lived there, two sisters, and they were having a party and inviting some of their friends over. And one of the girls came up to the front door, and I was sitting on my porch, so I saw this firsthand. And do you know what that girl did when she got up to the front door of this house? She texted. She texted because you don't want to ring the doorbell because you might have to interact with a parent or even a sibling. You don't want to do that, right? You text. Have you guys had this happen to you? Your friend's at the front door and they text you or in their car and they text you. They don't come up and say hi. Maybe you've done this too. Yeah, let's admit it. We're the technophiles, right? This is our world that we live in today. Technology has actually enabled us to interact with people less We're having less real connections and interactions with people because we have technology. Um, We see this all the time because what happens when we're on the train or on the bus or even walking down the street or at the gym? What do we see all around us? People with their AirPods in or huge noise-canceling headphones. Does anything say, don't talk to me more than noise-canceling headphones? Right? Right? Even those random interactions with strangers that we hated, we don't even do anymore, right? Walking down the street, people have earbuds. As I was studying, I read a story about a kid that had his earbuds in and tripped and broke a tooth, right? And I'm going to be right in that group because I remember when I was in college, I had my earbuds in because it was so cool with my brand new iPod. It wasn't connected to the internet, but I had an iPod in, right? And I was biking and I ran into a car. It wasn't their fault. And I I was like, (laughs) so I'm up there. I'm guilty. We avoid social interactions because of this. And even when we do get together, what do we do? We have our phones out. We have our phones out. Something else is always going on. In one study, they found that 89% of people admitted that in their last social interaction, it was interrupted because of a phone. And 82% said that the conversation suffered because of it. The new social skill that people are trying to learn is how to text while maintaining eye contact. (laughs) But what that does is actually that we're trying to multitask all the time. And because of that, our our mind, we can't multitask. We pretend, but we can't. Our mind's in different places. And because of that, they call it now continuous partial attention. We can't focus on anything, let alone the people in front of us. Relationships are suffering. They say even just having a phone out on the table, even if you don't use it at lunch, lowers the amount of real relationship that you can develop because people avoid deep subjects just because the phone is there. It doesn't even have to ding. This is one of the saddest statistics. They did a study of just college students, and they have found that over the last 40 years, 
college students have dropped. No, I'm sorry, in the last 30 years, there has been a 40% drop in empathy within college students. Because they don't look people in the eye. They don't know what they're feeling unless it's from an emoji. You don't know what people are feeling going through their heads. So we don't know what they're like. And empathy is the thing we need the most of all in our world today, don't we? Sherry Turkle is a sociologist and wrote a brilliant book called Alone Together. It's been out for about 10 years now, but it's still so good. Diagnosing the problems of our day with technology. And she writes in it that we, we fear the risks and disappointments of relationships. Relationships are hard, right? They're messy. They're difficult. With our fellow humans, we expect more from technology and less from each other. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Isn't that case in point right there? <laughs> Sorry. I, it's our world, right? And we try to build relationships online because we have access to so many people who share the same likes as us, right? That's a great way to connect with people online, right? But actually those relationships can be some of the worst we have. Those of you who are teenagers playing those massively online multiplayer games, whatever they're called, is that friend that you have that you play for hours a day with, is that friend going to be there when your dad is dying? No. These people are far away and we don't have a real connection with them even though we think we do. Dating. And I'm so glad I got married before all this stuff happened. I, I, sorry for you guys. I love you. I'll encourage you and pray for you. But man, dating must be insane today. That with all these different dating apps, people are judging you within a millisecond. Swipe, swipe, swipe. Ooh, no, swipe, swipe, swipe. Man, talk about a self-esteem killer right there, right? People are judging you that quick. And now people are doing that in real interactions as well. I've seen it in person. Oh, I'm not going to date him. You just saw him. You didn't even talk with him. But we do this, these snap decisions because we have all these apps. There's never been more people at your fingertips that you can date. Right? And yet marriages are harder and harder to come by. And less and less people are getting married. It's interesting. Even when you do go on a date with someone that you like, you think things are progressing, they're going great, and then what happens? They vanish. Ghosted. Right? Is that what they call it nowadays? Ghosted. You thought things were going well, and then there's no technological... You, you, have, you were only interacting online, right? Even though you're meeting in person, you don't know where they live. You don't know they are. They're gone. It is so bad that it's driving so many people to things like online pornography or dolls because they have no hope of a real relationship or marriage. Then we go home, and what do we do? Turn on Netflix or Hulu or HBO Go or whatever streaming app you have, and you watch a show, just one episode, right? But then what happens? Without you even deciding the next episode plays and the next episode, you finish the show and then it starts the next show without you even saying anything. Have you seen this? We think it's going to make us better. But then what's even worse is that you finally watched a show. At least you used to be able to talk about the episode of Seinfeld everybody else watched last night, right? Now you're like, hey, did you see that episode of Swamp People? Like, no, no, I'm a gold rush gal, right? You can't even talk at the cooler with your friends about the TV show you just watched. You're like, oh, didn't you see that new show on Netflix? No, 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 I have Hulu. Sorry. There's no even interaction between the shows we watch in private. It's cut off all our connections and relationships. We've never been more connected, yet we've never felt more alone. It even has invaded our dining room tables, right? 
want to show you a little PSA. Oh, it's so nice to all be sitting down together. Who can tell me something they did today? Um, I drew a horsey. Good for you, Sam. I started smoking. I love you too, sweetheart. I'm selling bongs out of our minivan. I got a tramp stamp. I'm getting implants. I'm dating your brother. Uh-huh. I'm cooking meth in the basement. Great idea, kiddo. That's why you're so popular at school. If you had a dinner like that, you know what I'm talking about. We've never been more connected, yet we've never felt more alone. How is it that social media platforms that allow us to connect in a millisecond with hundreds and thousands of our friends leave us feeling jealous, angry, depressed, and disconnected? How is it that millions of kids the world over can game at the same time chatting with their friends, leaving them feeling more isolated and depressed than ever? How is it that the abundance of dating apps with thousands of eligible singles make dating harder and marriage less common? This is our modern problem that we live in today, right? Just calling it like it is. So what's the solution? Throw your phone away, throw it in a river, and go, and you need to live off the grid. Is that the solution? You know, some people need to do that. One guy showed me his dumb phone after the, the, the message this morning. I'm like, that's great. For some people, this is what you have to do, right? And, and maybe some people are like, well, I need a better app for that. I think it's funny that we do that, right? Look for the solution in the problem itself. But there may be some apps that help, and I'll talk about actually some different technological stuff we can do in this series. But actually, I believe the solution to our modern problem that we're facing today is actually something that we can learn from the ancient world, from an ancient text. And no, not that kind of text. That people like the Apostle Paul, though he didn't have a smartphone, knew a thing or two about isolation and loneliness and connection or or people like king david though he didn't have a dating app thank goodness for him probably he could share some great wisdom for us that will help us in this moment today so we're going to look at those ancient truths in god's word and it's going to help us now as much as it did people thousands of years ago and today in this series i'm going to give you some practical application today But there's going to be a lot more coming in this series. So I want to challenge you to commit to this entire series. Right now, we're either going to do six or seven messages in the series, depending on a couple things. But I want you to commit to the next six or seven weeks, saying, I'm going to be here for this series because I need to learn some practical tips that we're going to look at. We're going to look at God's word and then apply it particularly to our technologically advanced situation today with smartphones. I want you to commit to that. Because today, this message is only going to have a little bit of that practical, but what it's going to teach us is two foundational truths that we need before any of that will work. There are two things that we need to accomplish today, and there are two things that fit together really well. You need both of these truths that we're going to learn today that are going to make everything else possible, that maybe we can get better and maybe we can escape our loneliness and our isolation, our depression, our anxiety that comes with that. Get better healthy too, right? That'd be nice. All those things are going to be built on these two foundational truths that are tied together. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone, yes, you can use your smartphone for this. Somebody look over everybody's shoulder. Make sure they're only looking at the Bible or taking notes. Okay? Smartphone, we're going to look at Psalm 68. I'm going to have it up on the screen here as well. If you have your physical Bible, that's a good one too, right? That's a good app. Um, Psalm 68. And we're just going to look at two verses today. We're going to examine these two verses because they're so important. 
And in Psalm 68, we read a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. And these two verses have packed so much good truth for us today that we need to hear it. So this psalm is actually quite a long psalm, and it was written by David. It's a Davidic psalm. And David, the great king of Israel, wrote 70-plus psalms, these songs that they would sing. And this one, we don't know exactly when it was written, but we think, based on what's in it, is that it was a psalm that was written as the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the city of Jerusalem, that great capital city, finally the Ark of the Covenant. You know the Ark of the Covenant, that great gold box covered with gold when you open it up, your face melts. You know that one. That doesn't actually happen, that's just the movies. But this great box was what God had chosen as his throne. There's two angels that are uh, outstretched with their wings on top of it, and it's basically forming a throne with nothing on it, because God, of course, in the Ten Commandments said, you shall make no image of me at all, because no one knows what I look like. I'm not a thing or a person or an animal unlike all the other religions of the world. I'm invisible. I cannot be captured in any image of a thing. So there's this throne, and that represents God's presence. And God said, while during this time period of human history, I'm going to reside, I'm going to basically sit on this throne, and my presence will be there. So as they're bringing in this Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God into the city, this psalm is being sung. It's like the heralds are going out before it, and they're saying, look who's behind us, look who's coming. I think this would be similar today to a conference. You guys have been to some conferences, and maybe there's a big-name speaker, the keynote speaker who's getting up. And right before they get up to deliver their, their message or their talk or whatever, right before them is someone who introduces them, right? And they're like, you're going to love our next speaker. He's a good friend of mine. I met him 15 years ago, and he has these four degrees, more degrees than Fahrenheit, and he's done all these things and all these accomplishments, and, and you've got to just know him personally because he's a great guy. Have you heard this at a keynote speech, right? I think David's kind of doing this here for God. He's saying, you've got to meet my friend. You've got to know this God of mine. He has done so many things. And the whole psalm tells all these great things God has done. And in this section, these two verses, it's describing who God is. He said, you've got to know this God. You've got to know his character. And his character is going to help you so much. And as we'll see today, I think it does the same. Because David says... This God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling, God in his essence, as he's there on this stone. God himself is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. God sets the lonely, it says in verse 6, in families. What do we see in just those first three lines? Relationships. God is saying, I want relationships. I have relationships with people. As a father, as a defender, as the one who takes lonely people who are alone and puts them in families. God says, I am a God of relationships. We've got to know this because we don't just have an inanimate God out there in the universe somewhere. There's some force that maybe exists, maybe doesn't. No, no, no. God is a person. God is a person. Did you know this about God too? He loves relationships. Have you heard of a thing called the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Trinity. In himself, God has relationship. Incredible. God is all about relationship. And he created us in his image to need relationship as well. We need relationships in our life. 
Did you know when God created everything, he said it was good? The aardvark, good. The universe, good. Wheatgrass, not, not good. Okay, he says all these things, they're good. But do you know the one thing he said was not good? For man to be alone. Loneliness is not good. God created us for relationships. And I think that's what God is saying. And, and he wants a relationship with us. Isn't that incredible? God wants a relationship with us. He says, especially to those who are struggling with relationships, the fatherless, the widow, the lonely. God says, I want to have a relationship with them, with, with everyone, but especially those who are struggling to have the relationships they need in their life. I love that he's focused on being a father too. This is just, this, I think, one of the best representations of the relationship God wants with us because we all want a father. We all need a father, especially if you're an orphan, orphan, a fatherless person. If you were raised without a father, you know what it's like. In our world today, there's a lot of people without fathers. One half of all children born today are born into a family uh, with a couple that isn't married. You're saying, oh, but they're still living together. But if they're just living together, there's a way higher likelihood that they're going to separate. They're going to separate. One out of four, here, this is even worse, one out of four children in our country today have no father at all in their lives. There are a lot of fatherless people. Some of you in here have felt that. We call it even a father wound, don't we? Because it's this deep longing we have in our hearts. Some of you, um, you know, you didn't have your father, didn't know your father, or maybe your father was there for a little while and then gone. He was an absentee father. Some of us even had a father, but, but maybe he was emotionally absent, always at work or traveling. This can be one of the deepest wounds we carry in our lives because we long for that relationship with someone who loves us, cares about us, protects us, and will accept us no matter what. And God says, that is what I am. This is who I am in my very essence is a father to the fatherless. So whether you had no father or you had a terrible father, God wants to be the father in your life to love you and care for you, to be the relationship you need, that deepest longing we have for that father. God says, I am the father to you. So I'm going to give you a two-part big idea today, and it's very simple, but I'm going to give you the first part right now, is that you need to find the father. Very simple. You need to find the father in your life. If you want overcoming that longing you have in your heart for relationships and loneliness, if you feel alone, especially if you have that father wound in your life, you've got to find the Father in heaven who is a father to all of us. He loves us and cares about us. And he's the kind of father that will never let us down, even though the best of our fathers do. Right? Even though the best fathers let their children down, our Father in heaven will never leave us nor forsake us. He will always care for us and love us and accept us just the way we are. Isn't that beautiful? I think that's so important because we mess up and we sin and we feel like, oh my gosh, God doesn't like me anymore. He hates me. No, no, no. It could be, nothing could be further from the truth. God loves you with a deep love and compassion. And he cares for you no matter what you have done or how far you have fallen away. I heard a story from a pastor and he was describing his own experience with his dad and I think it shines light on our Heavenly Father. Because his own dad, when he was just a young teenager, loved him unconditionally. And one day he was getting into some trouble, as we're all prone to do. And he borrowed his neighbor's car. And when he was borrowing this neighbor's car, he left it idling and it got stolen. So the neighbor was 
pretty enraged about this and angry and insisted that he be arrested, this teenager. But his dad, his, his real dad, was out of town while this was happening. So when he got back into town, he rushed back. He went immediately to the jail and bailed his son out and then went and found this neighbor and paid double the price of the car that was stolen. And then he took his son, who was just feeling the guilt and shame of it all so awful, and he said to him, I forgive you. And what's even better, he never brought up the episode again. This pastor said, that's what the love of the Father is like, and I agree. That's how much our Father in Heaven loves us. No matter what we do, no matter how far we fall or, or, or fall away from God, no matter what sin we have in our life, God says, I love you and accept you. Welcome back. Come back. Anytime. You're always welcome. He's a father to the fatherless. And it says he's the defender of the widow, too. We talked about two widows in our last series through Ruth, right? Naomi and Ruth. And these widows lost everything when their husbands died. They were poor and they were destitute. Widows, especially elderly widows like Naomi, they, they were the worst in the ancient world because they had no money. They had, they could, even if they had land like Naomi, they couldn't take care of it. They would be starving. They had nothing. And God says, I am a defender for those widows. I protect them. Even in our own day, it's the elderly who are the most likely to be targeted for scams and deception. We need people to defend, especially the widows. And these are people that are without that deep, loving relationship that they've had. So I think we can apply this to people who are single as well or divorced. This relationship is gone. I don't have that kind of relationship in my life. God says, I'm your defender. I'm your defender. I care about you. Even the lonely, no matter our state, if we are alone, feeling lonely, God is for us. So we need to find the Father. We need to find the Father. And that means... We need to look up, right? We've got to look up. So I want to give you one practical challenge this week. And I say this week, but I want you to do it for six weeks, this whole series, because they say for a habit to actually take root, it takes about six weeks minimum, right? So what I want you to do first thing in the morning, instead of checking your email, which is going to make you stressed and anxious because of work and your boss and all that junk, Instead of looking to social media, which is going to make you feel jealous and depressed, instead of looking at the news, which is going to make you angry and depressed, I want you to look up to God. Now, you can use your phone. I do. Get a Bible app. Make that the first thing you do. Or grab this good old book. Put this on your nightstand. If you have to, because you can't stop yourself, put your phone on the other side of the room so that you grab this thing. And first thing, I'm going to talk with my dad. I'm going to talk with my Father in Heaven who loves me. And one thing I do when I'm in premarital counseling is I challenge one of the habits I want them to create is a daily dialogue. Seems simple, but even if for just five minutes a day, have a conversation with this person you're going to marry and do it for the rest of your life. It's amazing how many people don't even do that basic thing. A real conversation about the real things going on in your life and heart. Not shallow, not superficial, not work, not sports. Real stuff. So I want to challenge you to have a daily dialogue with your Father in Heaven. What if you do that? The first thing that you do when you wake up, you look up and say, God, I'm going to talk with you. And a dialogue means I'm going to read from your word. I'm going to hear what you have to say from me. And I'm going to share some things on my heart. Talk to God about those deep things. God, I'm anxious about this. I'm depressed here. I'm worried about this. I feel so lonely now. Loneliness. We should ask God to help us with that. Did you know that? You can ask. You have not because you ask not, as Jesus' brother James said. You have not because you have some. Have you ever just asked God, God, I want some real friends. 
That's a good prayer. I've prayed it. When Melissa and I were first in Nebraska, there was one couple in our church when we got there that was under 40. And they were like, we clung to them, right? But after we were there for six months, they told us they were moving to Alaska. Are you kidding me? Could you go a little farther, please? And I remember literally praying, God, give us friends. That was my prayer. And the next Sunday, three young couples showed up and we said, hey, you're in our small group. We started the small group that day. They don't need to know that, but. And they became our friends and they still are our friends to this day. We need to pray friends and we just ask God, give us friends. And he gave it to us. God wants to give you good things. Did you know that? In Romans chapter 8, there's this great section where Paul says, um, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Great. We're God's kids. And the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba could be translated as Daddy. Dad, I need some help. Do you know you can do that every single day? What if that was the first thing you did? Dad, I need help with this today. Dad, could you give me this type of relationship I need? Dad, I'm stressed. I don't even know why. Help me with that. What if you did that? Our daughter, McKinley's two and a half, and she's learning to do a lot of things. She's amazing. And she's learning how to like tie her shoes, not tie her shoes, but put her shoes on herself and do all sorts of things. But sometimes she gets frustrated, especially like taking Legos apart. That's hard for me. But she'll get frustrated at trying to do some things herself. And you can see her get frustrated. She's like, I can't do it. And, and I've been trying to talk to her and say, hey, just ask me. Say, Dad, I need some help. And she's starting to get it because I'm more than happy to come help her with whatever she needs help with, right? I can help her with shoes. There's hard shoes. I struggle with my shoes sometimes too. Right? I'll help you with that. I want to. I love you and care about you. I want to help you because you're my daughter. And I think God does that for us. You're my daughter. You're my son. I want to help you. All you have to do is just ask. Just say, hey, Dad. So what if instead of getting stressed by all the junk that you look at on your phone, you instead look up to God? Just a real practical thing, but I think it will change things drastically for your life. Start with that. Find the Father. So that's my first challenge to you today, to find the Father by looking up. Because we need it, right? We need it. But here's the thing. Is that enough? Is it enough just to have this relationship with our Father in heaven, talk with Him? If you have a good prayer life, is everything going to be solved in your life? Mm, Spiritual and religious people are thinking, yeah, of course. But no. In fact, God says what I do in, in our passage in Psalm 68. He says what I do with the lonely is I set them in families. I take people who are lonely and don't just say, well, you have me, isn't that enough? No, 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 I take those people and put them in other relationships because we were made in God's image with a need for relationships. We need them. That's how God created us. I think it's amazing. You look at the heroes in the Bible. All of them had friends. And the ones that were lonely, it's because they didn't have friends like Elijah. God's like, go get a friend. There's Elisha right there. Be friends with him. You're depressed. Go talk with him. That's what God gave him when he was depressed. Did you know that? Look at it like Moses had Aaron and Miriam around him. And then later Joshua. In the New Testament, Paul always traveled with a companion, whether it was John, Mark, or Barnabas. Jesus himself sent out his disciples two by two. Don't go by yourself. Even he went around with his disciples. Jesus needed companions and friends. 
We need relationships in our lives. We need family. Now, this passage, I do think, is saying that there, there can be a way that God brings a, like a family that will adopt an orphan, or, or there could be someone come into the widow or the, the divorcees or the single person's life for a marriage. That God does those kind of things. But I think he's also saying, hey, I want to put you in a family of people who care about you. It might not be blood, but it might be thicker than blood. I'm going to give you some friends that care about you deeper than even your family, maybe. That's what God wants to do for us, and he puts us in those places. I believe that some of you are here this morning for this message because God is trying to put you in a family here. He's setting you here. Don't say, oh, I don't have any friends. I don't have community. No, no, no. He puts you here. Maybe you're watching online. You're supposed to show up next week. Okay? God wants you in a family of people who care about you and love you. And so my second part of my big idea is just so simple too. Find the father and his family. Find the father and his family. We need these relationships. We need the, the relationships I think that we find in church because I believe that the relationships in a church are the best and the most important ones that we need for our life. Sure, we need our biological family. Sure, we need friends outside of church. But these relationships are so critical to who we are. We need them. We desperately need them. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, we read, Finally, all of you should be in agreement, understanding each other, loving each other as family, being kind and humble. We can and should become a family for each other, to show up for each other, to care for each other. That's why we want you in a community group. We've got 16 of them now. That's a great. Sign up for one because the people here that are maybe across the aisle from you, it's hard to make relationships on a Sunday morning. You should. You should hang out with people in the cafe, get here early. Maybe right after this you need to go to lunch with somebody, tap someone on the shoulder, say, hey, you want to get coffee this week, and go with them, okay? No ghosting here. Okay, well, let's build relationships. But the community group is where you're really going to connect with people. You're going to share things that are deeper on your heart that are going on. Every single community group session I've been in, there's somebody in those 12 weeks who is, you know, going through a crisis or losing their job, and we can be there for the other person. Or sometimes it's you that's going through that stuff. But when you have those relationships with those people, man, it's so much better. So much better. So we want you to do that. It's not just, oh, if I have time. No, I'm too busy. You probably need it the most. Let's be honest. You probably need it the most. And we need to love these people as family, which means... Younger people are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe your children in Christ. Maybe older people, you treat them with respect like you would your mom or dad. Or, or they're your aunt or the crazy uncle that you still love even though they're crazy. There's a few of those around here, right? Let's, let's be honest. Okay, but that's our family. We love them. And we need them. We need them in our lives. And what's interesting is all those statistics I was talking about at the beginning with, with anxiety and depression and loneliness that we experience in our world today. Many of them can and will be healed if you have real relationships in your life. And it's even more important, studies have found, than having family in your life is having these true deep relationships. Isn't that interesting? They're some of the most important things for those statistics. They have found that if you have close friends like this, you have increased happiness, that you have less stress, that you're in a better mood, that you have better health outcomes. In fact, this was an interesting study. They found that if they looked at someone's phone, that even a better indicator than the fitness app, whatever fitness app they were using, that's saying their heart rate and how much they exercise, all that, what's better than that at tracking someone's actual health 
is the length of their incoming and outgoing phone calls. Yes, people talk on the phone still, okay? If you call anybody under 30, they don't answer, right? Or he goes to the voicemail and they don't listen to it, right? You know what I'm talking about. But if you actually talk with people on the phone and you're developing relationships, even if you can't see them in person, it actually has more impact on your health than working out every day. Crazy, right? I, I didn't come up with that statistic. Just reporting the news. We need to have these relationships because the social support that we have is so important. It lowers stress, betters our mood, helps us recover quicker from illnesses. Interesting. We need relationships. We desperately need people around us. And I think the church, I would encourage you, is the best place to find those relationships. So that's my challenge to you. Find them here. Have some friends outside. Yes, keep them. But also find some friendships here, relationships. There was a woman a few years ago who was a Yale grad, so a very uh, brilliant woman, and she decided to go undercover in a church for two years. So she faked a conversion, which I don't recommend. You can debate the, uh, you know, whether that's ethical or not. But she, did, she faked a conversion and just jumped into a church for two years to see what it was like and then wrote a book about it. Now, that's a little weird idea. But one conclusion that she came to in this book is so amazing. And I want to show you this. She says, What I envied most about Christians was having a community gathering each week a touchstone for people who share values, a safe place to be frank about your life struggles, a place to be reminded of your moral compass, having a place to guard against loneliness, to feel there are others like you. This is what she envied the most about us Christians. Well, we have it. You're here. You can develop those relationships even deeper at a community group. It's why even here in Denver, there's a group of atheists that meets every Sunday morning because they miss the relationships of church. Did you know that? People long for these relationships, and we can have them here, and we can have them on a deeper level because we all have the same Father. That's incredible. We share deeper values. We care about each other. We accept each other as sinful as we come because our Father in Heaven accepts us as sinful as we are. This is what we need in our life. These relationships. So find the father and his family. Look up from your phones for a minute. Put them down. Put them aside. Turn them off. Leave them in the car or at home. Develop real relationships in the church. Okay? Pretty simple, right? These are pretty foundational things. But all the different things we're going to talk about, and even if I recommend the apps and doing different things, none of that's going to make sense unless you have found the father and his family. Okay? And let me tell you this, you may be wondering, well, how do you do that? You find the father and his family through the son. Okay? Does it make sense? You find the father and his family when you accept the father's son, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, we read, Yet to all who did receive him, who's him? Jesus. Yet to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. We need to accept Jesus Christ, and then we can be accepted as the sons. We are adopted into this family, no matter where we come from. God is the father to the fatherless. We're adopted, we're loved, we're accepted, we're forgiven again and again and again. And we have brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and moms and dads and children all around us 
because of this new family that we have through Jesus Christ. One really fascinating thing I found in my study was that in our passage in Psalm 68, if we can pull up that verse one more time, it says this, God sets the lonely in families. This word lonely occurs the most times in the Old Testament to be translated as only child. I find that really interesting. When, when Abraham is talking about Isaac, my son, my only son, that's the word it uses, whom I love. It's like only children can be put in a family. Well, we know that that same term is picked up now in Greek in the New Testament. And our favorite verse, right? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here's the thing. Our verse teaches us that the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. There are some who will not choose Jesus, who it will feel like they're in a sun-scorched land, that they are away from everyone like in a desert, that they're lonely, that they're depressed, they're anxious. And some of you will reject what I'm telling you right now, but I'm hoping that years from now you'll remember this. When you're in that sun-scorched land, you'll remember that I can have a father and I can have a family through the sun. Because Jesus, the one and only son, went to die on the cross for your sins to allow for you to be adopted into this family, to be forgiven and accepted forever. And we can have that through Jesus Christ. So I don't know if you're like me and you're addicted to your phone, if you're struggling with things, if you know that technology and social media has actually detracted from yourself and your relationships with others. I think it's pretty clear that it has for most of us, if not all of us. But we can actually improve from there. We can move on. And we're going to learn some tips in this series. You've got to come back. But I need you to know that you need to look first to the Father, then to His children through His Son. And we've got to do that starting today, or else nothing's going to get any better in our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, um, the statistics are bleak in our society. There's relationships that are broken. We feel it. We feel loneliness. At least half the people statistically in here feel lonely even this morning, Lord God. And I pray that you would show them how much you love them today that you would be the father, especially to those who are fatherless, that you'd be the fender to the widow, to the divorcee, to the single person this morning. Lord God, we all long for relationships. We need them. We need more of them. We need better relationships, good relationships. Lord God, help us to not be distracted by technology and this imaginary illusion that we're more connected now. Lord God, help us to see that we need you and we need others in our lives today. And with everybody's eyes closed, I want to give an opportunity to people, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if God isn't your Father yet, and you want Him to be, we're told in His Word that if we declare with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Simple. So I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to respond in faith. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to start praying for the people around you today that they would make the best decision that they will ever make in their lives today. And I'm going to lead you in this prayer that you can just respond by saying this with me. And if you've said this prayer before, I want you to say it with me to just kind of encourage the people around you. And if this is the first time that you're saying this prayer to make Jesus as your Lord, say it and mean it from your heart. Pray after me. God, I need you to be my Father. I confess I'm a sinner. I confess I need you. Would you forgive me of my sins? Accept me as I am. 
And I pray that you'd set me in a family. Give me your Holy Spirit. And help me to grow. And follow you. With the rest of my life. Amen. With everybody's eyes still closed. If you said that prayer for the first time, if you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you please just raise your hand? Awesome. Praise God. I want to encourage you and pray for you. Welcome. We're so glad you're part of the family. And I'm going to be in the back here. We're going to have a prayer team and, and some others in the back. We have a bag for you that we want to give. It's just a gift to you that has some, uh, some free stuff, a good book and all that good stuff in there. Just to welcome you into the family because that is the most exciting thing. And let me just say one more prayer for everybody. Lord God, we are so grateful that we can be called the sons and daughters, the children of you, God, the father to the fatherless, the defender of widows. God, you are in your holy presence. That's who you are. You set us lonely human beings and families. You care for us and you give us other people around us who will care for us and love us and encourage us and challenge us. And Lord God, I pray that we would walk then not into the sun-scorched land, but into the time of joy and peace through your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, if you guys could please stand right now. In this response time of worship, we uh, do have prayer time in the back. So feel free to leave during the song. It's okay. You're not going to upset Bobby. He's okay with it. Well, we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. If you're struggling with health issues, relationship issues, whatever your issue, we want to pray with you. We all got issues, right? We're in the back. We care for you. And then Bobby's actually going to teach us a new song today. And I think you're going to really like it. We're going to talk, sing it throughout this series called I Belong. You guys ready? So the first line goes like this. It goes, I see hope coming on the horizon. And there's no need for hiding 